Welcome to the Art of Relationships podcast with Dr. Tim Muehlhoff. And Dr. Chris Grace. Uh, awesome. We are here being able to spend some time with you all talking about relationships, all things relationships. And in fact, one of the things that uh, recently we've been talking about uh, Dr. Muehlhoff is this idea of conflict. But more importantly, some of the ways in which we deal with conflict um, and the need to what you've labeled as calling a truth. So talk a little bit about that real quick and we'll continue that conversation. Yeah, pairing off of the podcast uh, previous to this one is a, a relational truce is making a decision for a period of time. It could be a day or two, it could be a week, even longer, where you do not talk about the issue that is causing the conflict. It could mm -hmm. be finances, kids schedule, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. Um, for me and Noreen, she's borrowing my hair products, drives me <laughs> Crazy, I'm actually bald, so that was a joke. But but whatever is causing the conflict, we make a decision not to talk about that. We, we yeah. looked at the book of Proverbs that mm -hmm. says a wise man overlooks an offense. Mm -hmm. So for a period of time, we simply do not talk about this issue. We likened it to World War I, where there was actually a Christmas truce between mm -hmm. Germans and the British that lasted uh, upwards a month. So it's a great concept. If you've not listened to it, suggest we go back and listen mm -hmm. to the other podcast. But as good as the truth concept is, there are some pitfalls to this approach. Okay. One is uh, what we like to call falling in love with the truce. Mm -hmm. In other words, you say, all right, we're not talking about finances anymore. We're not talking about the in-laws anymore. Mm -hmm. And you think, awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was great. And mm -hmm. so... A two-day truce becomes a four-day truce, yeah. becomes a one-week truce, becomes yeah. a one-month truce. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, this is awesome. We used to argue all the time about finances. And now, because we're not talking about them, we don't argue. I say, let's never talk yeah. about finances. Yeah, boy, that could cause some problems uh, because I think what, what ends up happening when, uh, if that becomes a, a operating kind of way of functioning, you can start to bury things, put them and That's put right. them under the rug uh, and not really realize they can trip you up still. Even though you swept them underneath there, that kind of rug bunches up. And then yeah. at times you can trip over it if you're not careful. So it's something to avoid, isn't it? To be able to talk, be able to take a, also a truce, uh, but to realize this doesn't give you the freedom and the permission to avoid having these conversations. And if that continued, we would call that avoidance. Right. Uh, the byproduct of avoidance would be latent conflict. Mm -hmm. Hey, that disagreement's not gone anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, the hard feelings associated with finances, in-laws, uh, too busy of a work schedule. All those emotions didn't dissipate. Right. The conflict has just temporarily been put on hold so that we can raise the climate, mm -hmm. uh, the amount of affection between two people. We talked about repair mechanisms mm -hmm. the last time. So the truce only works as a truce, mm -hmm. knowing that once we get into a better place emotionally, uh, spiritually, we then are going to go back and talk about it. You and I even talked about last podcast, this idea of metacommunication. Right. Why don't you explain to them what metacommunication yeah, was? Yeah, it's just the ability to have a conversation about when we get to conflict, the conversations yeah. we're going to have, right? So a meta conversation says, you know, next time we face this particular issue or any conflict, let's set some things ahead ahead of time now that will determine our 
better climate or a give us a better opportunity to hear each other. And right, that's the whole goal is I want to be able to hear you. That's right. Well, the best way I can do that is if when, when we hit this topic, let's set up some times and some procedures. So give me 24, 48 hours during this time or whatever that setup is that allows me to be able to process or think through things. So what I hear you saying is, I think during the truce, mm-hmm. we could have meta conversations. Right. So in other words, we're not going to talk about finances because we're mm-hmm. on the truce. Mm-hmm. But I do think we could say, hey, so hypothetically, a week from now, mm-hmm. when we do talk about finances, mm-hmm. it would be good maybe to package it this way. Mm-hmm. Or this is what tends to get us sidetracked. Mm-hmm. Those medic conversations aren't breaking the truce mm-hmm. because you're not getting into the details of finances. You're just having this roundabout conversation about how we should have conversations when the moment comes. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of phrases you can oftentimes use, you know, in, in something like that. Um uh, that, you know, I think a person during this conversation that you're now having that's a little bit more reasoned, less emotional, yeah. you can say, you know what, At sometimes when I get overwhelmed, I know I can be overly critical and I can be overly sensitive yeah. and I'm trying to avoid that. And I think... Uh, Tim, what ends up happening is this is a chance during these meta conversations, meta communication, to really express and to to show humility both mm. towards not only the other person but towards the way God sees us. He knows that we are oftentimes, you know, we get stressed out. There might be young children. There might be other stressors going on. And just to recognize, I may not do this well, but thanks for hearing me. Thanks for being sensitive to me. Thanks for knowing. And I want to extend that same thing to you. I would also advocate something. So when the truce is over, and now you're going to talk about finances or in-laws, let's say, there's a really helpful technique from the Harvard negotiation project called the third story. The third story is this idea. If there was an outsider who was actually sitting, listening to you and your roommate talk about finances, Uh was actually listening to you and your spouse talk about Mm in-laws, how would that third person objectively... Describe both of your viewpoints. Now, here's how a third story would work, let's say, with Mm in-laws. Let's say um, you and your spouse have a a disagreement on how long in-laws should stay. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to bring up the in-law question evoking the third story, this is what it would sound like. If I'm trying to give both of our perspectives, I would say this. And this is the key to a third story. I want to be charitable to both of our perspectives. So Mm -hmm. I would say... Both of us mm-hmm. value in-laws. Mm-hmm. We both absolutely want our in-laws to come mm-hmm. and feel at home when they're here. When they are here, both of us feel like it's very important that we are good um, hosts to them. There is a disagreement on how long mm-hmm. in-laws should stay. Mm-hmm. You would love um, for our in-laws to stay two, three weeks, and I would do better if that was maybe... Two to three hours. Two to three hours. (laughs) So you see what that is? The third story is me trying as much as possible to fairly represent your perspective. See, I could do the third story this Mm -hmm. way. I I could just say, listen, you're in love with your in-laws. You you want your mom and dad to stay here forever as if we have no life whatsoever. And I would like it for me to be more reasonable Mm -hmm. amount of time. My goodness, a a week is more than enough time. Mm -hmm. Right? That is not the third story. Why? Because mm-hmm. it's so skewed towards my story. Mm-hmm. It really takes art mm-hmm. and 
compassion to do mm-hmm. a really good third story where the person all your goal is with the third story is to bring up the topic and the other person say okay that's a fair representation of my yeah. perspective thank you yeah. but that's an art to be able to do that it really is it starts also with biblical humility doesn't it mm-hmm. i mean that notion yeah. that paul talked about in philippians 2 3 and 4 do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count each other as more significant and look not only for your own interest, but for the interest of others. Um, I think that's a, just being even that third, you know, voice or objective yeah. opinion yeah. could be courteously, you know, respectful. Yeah, courteous. respectful. Boy. And, and that's what it is. You know, it's that quality of meeting somebody halfway, right? And then always, rather than me first, it, humility allows us to say, no, you know, you first. I want to listen and I want to hear yeah. and I want to represent you. You know, Elisa went on a little trip recently and we were together on this trip actually in Philadelphia and and there was a gentleman and came in and she saw this person dressed up as a colonialist in the 1700s you know the white wig and the black (laughs) shoes with buckles and she went up to him and she said you know do you mind if I take your picture and he was standing there straight and tall with his hands behind his back and he asked and this would make you happy and she said oh yes it would very much. Then he replied, then it is what I live for. And he, she said, well, could you go tell my husband that line? And he smiled. He says, that is what all the ladies say. So, you know, it's a great way of doing this. Listen, we need to be willing to see what would make the other person happy and then to live for that because that could be a way of meeting somebody halfway. Imagine how awesome the contentment and the feelings of doing that and gratitude if they if we'd be able to kind of meet somebody at that point. So that's the first pitfall of a yep. truce is you fall in love with the truce. Yeah. We're not yelling. We're not getting upset because we are avoiding yep. purposely this topic. Yep. Uh, well, you do need to bring it up eventually. Yep. And what we're talking about is how to bring it up using the third story or a gentle startup. But here's another pitfall of a marital truce. It's overwhelming your spouse once the truce is over. Now, it can be human nature, by Mm -hmm. the way. Let's say your uh, truce Mm -hmm. lasts a week. During that week, it could be human nature to say, oh, I'll tell you what. I will tell you what. When this truce is over, I'm going to say this. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to for sure bring... And I'd love to hear her response to this. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? The truce isn't going to work. Because emotionally and mentally, you're just loading up ammunition Mm -hmm. to really go after your spouse or roommate once the truce is over. So we have to have a gentle startup Mm -hmm. is what we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. We probably should also have a criteria of what should we bring up Mm -hmm. once the truce is over. Mm -hmm. One author I like a lot, his name is Chris Brahms. And he says there's two kind of criteria of what you should bring up. First, Ask yourself the simple question, mm-hmm. how important is this? Mm-hmm. For me to bring it up mm-hmm. uh, after the truce, is this really in my top three? Uh-huh. Is this really the most important thing I can do? And then the second one is, is this a pattern in the person's life? Or, or is this just like one instance? Yeah. If it's just one instance, I think we can sweep it under the carpet. If it's a pattern, then I think that's totally legitimate to bring that up. 
Yeah, I, and another way of looking at this, uh, Tim, I, I think there's also, where can I, and, uh, something to ask yourself is, where can I compromise on this yeah. situation, and what's a deal breaker, right? What is so Good. important that, Good. listen, my, uh, like, for example, Elisa is, loves to spend time with her sister and her family. Well, she needs to be able to do that. So if I was able to say, you know, at some point, you know, say, well, I'm tired of you spending time with your sister and your family, you need to cut that out. Well, that would be a deal breaker in some respect. That would not be anything that would be very helpful. Instead, what we look for are ways that different situations where we can compromise in a way that brings out in a kind of respectful way our different ways of seeing this issue. So we agree, okay, there are some things that we're just going to keep, you know, off the table, but there are some where we can compromise. And if during this truce period, you can think of no areas in which you're willing to compromise, mm-hmm. then boy, I tell you what, that yeah. is a hard-hearted yeah. stance. I think yeah. what the Apostle Paul would say, yeah. we need to find room to compromise. And yeah. where am I wrong? Where yeah. am I overreacting? That's why this truce is inherently a spiritual process where David says, man, search my heart. I, I need to know what's happening in me during this truce. And have I gotten to the point where... Um, I, I've so lost my positive feelings towards mm-hmm. this person. I need to reclaim those in some yeah. way. Tim, what do you think about also um, this notion where you call and you come back in and you you agree what you're going to talk about? It seems like you can reestablish a sense of being on the same team yes. versus yeah, individually. Good. And so if you're that's on good. the same team, what do teammates do? Well, they look at a situation and they go, hey, we can figure this out. We can brainstorm on something. We should get together and talk about this. What are some things we can put into place, right? You recapture this sense of, we're, we're together in this. Let's brainstorm and talk about some things that we can do here. And so, right, it establishes almost an undercurrent of, we're in this together. This is not going to go away, and I'm with you. And Chris, that's a huge part of the third story. Yeah, The opening of a third story a good one, mm-hmm. a conciliatory one is this. We both care about family vacations. Yep. We yep. both think they're incredibly yep. valuable. Yep. We both um, love and appreciate our in-laws. We both think the kids' education is really important. We both think that we need to have some kind of a budget. Uh, we both agree that the apartment needs to be clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both value study time. Yeah, yeah. Now, the devil is in the details. Yeah. And that's where the third story comes in. So, uh, we both agree that study time is really important. Mm-hmm. You like to study with absolutely no sound whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I like to study with like music playing in the background. Yeah. So, again, that's we're on the same team. Yeah. We absolutely care about the same things. We value the same things. It's just we're going at this differently. Yeah, good. I like that. There's a notion of this idea of getting to a win-win, right? And sometimes um, if I just get to my point where I win, it's going to be quiet when we study and there's, that's just the way it's going to be. Well, I'm going to win that argument. I'm going to win that battle. But it, sometimes I'm going to lose kind of the relationship. So a compromise is coming up with and brainstorming about, well, wait a minute, what are some things we could do creatively? You know, and maybe there's a way to say, hey, I'll tell you what, for the next couple of times, we're going to nice and keep it quiet, but then we're going to have music, kind of learning how to compromise and getting to this point where we both feel we've won. And that idea is interesting because there could be a win-win in a lot of these issues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think a win-win is great. Um, 
And going back to your thoughts on humility, yeah. a win-win means you're going to win as well. Mm-hmm. And again, what's been so disappointing mm-hmm. about the political climate in our country has been, I'm not willing to do a win-win. Yeah. I'm not willing yeah. to compromise. Yeah. That's hard. Hey, let me mention one thing that I was thinking as you were speaking. Um, what do you do if your self-talk has gotten so negative mm-hmm. That you're finding it increasingly difficult to come up with a good third story. So, in other yeah. words, I, I don't think you care about this marriage. Yeah. And for me to say that just isn't true. I, I don't think you care about us, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. So, I'm not going to do this disingenuous third story to say we yeah. both care about the marriage, because quite frankly, I don't think you do, or I don't think you care about the apartment. What do you do when it's gotten that negative? Yeah, if it gets that negative, I think there's a difference if you're in a marriage relationship versus if you're in a friendship or roommate situation. If you're in a marriage relationship and that's coming up, I really think that's probably the time you need to go start getting some outside advice. You need to go yeah. talk to somebody yeah. who really is a third objective opinion and ask them, yeah. listen, and, and, and that might be a professional counselor, it might be a pastor, it might be you know a trusted friend who yeah. you know you could use but in at some point you're going to need to do that I think if it's in a friendship a roommate situation I think then that's maybe the time to check your heart and to wonder oh God what, what's going on here where have I gotten off or what's going on in this relationship how can it be salvaged and what am I what role am I playing in this and and again you could even use a trusted friend at that point and I think it's wise to make that distinction Chris because if it's a friendship, or a roommate situation, and you honestly have come to believe, mm-hmm. I, I don't think you care about this friendship the way I do, and mm-hmm. I certainly don't think you're investing the way I'm investing, that, that friendship doesn't necessarily have to continue. That's right. If it becomes toxic like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. Um, if a roommate situation, well, then you know what? a room, your, your house needs to be, your apartment needs to be a type of sanctuary. Mm-hmm. The hard, sobering thing about marriage is you got to deal with it Mm -hmm. because you can't go on thinking your spouse doesn't care about the marriage. That's right. So, yeah, it's good to make that distinction of what kind of relationship are we actually talking about. Um, Good. Yeah. All right. So any other pitfalls that you think would be important to recognize as we get to this point? I, I, I would think that... The, some of the last pitfalls would be uh, recognizing when a conflict is greater or um, more than the both of you at this point have the ability to handle a truce. Yeah. You've yeah. called it, you've worked on it, but you just seem to be what's called it this what what isn't a, it seems like a perpetual or unsolvable problem right it just keeps going and you need to be able to identify yeah. is this solvable and if it's not how do i then realize and recognize what can i do to take steps to fix this and do i need to at that point seek out somebody that's a little bit more well trained in this um what do you think well we've seen a huge generational difference when it comes to counseling uh, a very positive shift has happened with millennials and the fact that, yeah, counseling is great. I, I, of course I need counseling. I go, to a, I go to a math tutor for my math class. I go to a chem tutor for chemistry. Why wouldn't I go to a relational tutor or somebody to help me? I think that's great. We've seen at our marriage conferences, the older generation mm-hmm. looks at getting that input as I failed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and so I don't want to be a loser mm-hmm. when I go. Chris, what would you do in a situation where... One person um, 
recognizes, hey, we need some marital counseling, mm-hmm. and the other spouse just refuses to do it. Well, what would you advocate in that kind of situation? Yeah, one of the if there's a pattern like that, and the second person, the one who's unwilling, is both either unwilling because they just don't want to, or they feel overwhelmed, mm-hmm. and maybe their heart is beginning to show signs of hardening. You know, we call that stonewalling, yeah. or they're building things to protect them. It feels to them emotionally unsafe. That's a troubling sign only in this regard. Stonewalling becomes a sign that a person is really processing some things and really isn't able to see the out the other side. And so they're pr- trying to protect themselves. I, I think if that is the pattern, they're going to need to get some help in how to express you know, talk about deep hurt, you know, or, or traumas that are going on, things that are happening, or why this is so threatening for them. So one of the things they will need to do and recognize is this might be a time for me to kind of figure out why is this shell that I'm diving into and hiding yeah. behind? What's going on there? Um, and the other person just being able to graciously pr- uh, give that person space and time, but also holding them to this, like, listen, we really do need to talk about this because this pattern isn't good. I'm always wanting to talk, we yeah. need to deal with this, and you're not able to. Yeah. We need. Th- I think at that point, you have to be very careful that it doesn't lead into an emotionally unhealthy place for either of you. And I would say, I, I think it's perfectly fine for um, one person to go get counseling. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. To, no problem. To get coping strategies, yep. to deal with my anger issues, yep. my disappointment, my sarcasm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's very beneficial. And again, it doesn't need... I think sometimes we think about counseling as... Well, who's got money for mm-hmm. half a year of counseling? Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't, that isn't always the case. You can mm-hmm. go to an expert mm-hmm. and in one setting, you mm-hmm. can get some great strategies. Mm-hmm. So don't always think of counseling as this long commitment of like a year or more mm-hmm. or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I think, Tim, in this idea of a truce, to summarize it, I think what, what I'm hearing and I think what's going to be very helpful for our lis- listeners out there is to recognize that. A truce is an extremely valuable opportunity if used right. It's a chance to be Mm self-reflective. It's a chance to ask for the way in which I perceive the other person to change. It's a chance for me to say, God, help me change not only my anxious thoughts, but help me to see from another person's perspective. So those can be just valuable relational skills and tools that we all need to have, right? And a truce provides space, time, and a period where you can begin to reestablish the good things about a relationship, right? We used to have yeah. fun. We, yeah. we love hanging out together. And so as you were talking, that's one of the cool things that a truce allows you to do. It gives you a chance to be reflective, to allow God to come back into this relationship, to reestablish the fun that we used to have, and then to begin to see each other as being on the same team. Those are all really cool yeah. things. And if this topic interests readers, uh, in the book called Marriage Forecasting that I wrote a couple years ago, I dedicate a whole chapter to this. Yep. So maybe check out Marriage Forecasting, University Press. Um, and also there's other great books. You know, during that truce period when you want to do positive things, sometimes I think we just get in a rut and we just mm-hmm. can't think of what to do. There, there are some great books out there. Like there's one called 1001 Ways to Romance Your Spouse. Yeah. And again, uh, to think about some of those things, to say, oh, I can do that. That's mm-hmm. a piece of cake. Like I, I have, I actually have a book in my office called 1001 Ways to Romance Your Spouse. Mm-hmm. I honestly think they only had really 
500 good ideas, but they wanted to call it 1001. But here's one that I thought was brilliant. They said, go right now to a drugstore and purchase seven or eight greeting cards. Mm. Like make half of them funny and half of them serious Mm -hmm. and have them in your briefcase, Mm -hmm. in the kitchen, uh, at the office, wherever. And then just out of the blue, Mm. write a card, send it. Mm-hmm. I think the electronic version of that is to send an unexpected text, yeah. kind of stuff like that. Even the fun um, emojis or uh, fun photographs, you know, kind of stuff like this. Yeah. Um, remember the great commercials from my all-time favorite commercials is this man is leaving on a business trip and um, his kids are saying, Daddy, I got a gift for you. Daddy, I got mm-hmm. a gift for you. And he's saying, oh, this is awesome. This mm-hmm. is awesome. And the wife goes, uh, yeah, Daddy, turn on your phone. Mommy gave you a gift. And so he turns on his phone. All you see is his <laughs> eyes open. She goes, that's waiting for you when you get home. <laughs> it was great to think about that. So again, these repair mechanisms yeah. during a truce are just a key element of it. And a book like 1001 Ways could give you some uh, interesting creative ideas. There's some other great creative ideas at the cmr.biola.edu. We have blogs and, and other resources on how to make your wife's day, how to make your husband's day, how to handle relationships. We highlight lots of good skills and tools like that. And so it's one of the cool things that we put together. And why we're doing uh, our whole center is for uh, couples, for f- people in relationships, whether it's a friendship uh, that you have or something more serious. Uh, we deal with this issue head on in a lot of our talks and communication simply because this, Tim, happens to be one of the areas that couples uh, deal with a lot, and that is this need to call a truce during times of conflict. So thanks for sharing these thoughts and ideas, and um, join us next time on the Art of Relationships podcast, and uh, take care. Take care.